0: The failure of drug war is glaringly obvious to judges, cops, wardens, prosecutors, and millions more now calling for decriminalization, legalization, the end of prohibition. Let us investigate the century of lies. Welcome to this edition of Century of Lies. I'm glad you could be with us. Here in just a moment we'll have our guest, uh, Mr. Eugene Oscapella. He's a barrister for us uh, Americans. That means a a lawyer up there in Canada. And he runs a a drug uh, reform organization as well. And uh, I admit I'm a bit delinquent. haven't been keeping my Canadian affiliates as updated as I should be. But well, we're certain to do that today with Mr. Eugene Oscapella. Hello, Eugene. Hello, Dean. Thank you for joining us during this holiday season. I'm oh. glad, glad you're here, sir.
1: I'm delighted to be speaking to you again, Dean. And all the best to your listeners from 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 the somewhat cold Canadian North.
0: Well, I, I spoke to you a bit earlier. You telling me you had to let your face uh, freeze? Uh, excuse me, unfreeze a bit. Ho- hopefully, you're you're ready to go.
1: Oh, I'm I'm fine. I'm a, I'm a lawyer. I've warmed up my mouth. So.
0: <laughs> well eugene uh, let 's begin with the uh, the politics of Canada. I suppose that 's probably the best place, and uh, my understanding, I see some articles that indicate uh, perhaps the u s is sticking their nose in it again. Now, tell us what 's going on up that way.
1: Well, there's, there's certainly on a, a couple of levels. I mean, there's uh, Canada and the United States obviously have a very close relationship because we, we are the world's largest uh, trading partners. So, there, I mean, we've, we've always had a, a strong relationship. So the fact that our governments are talking is nothing new. But uh, I, I suspect that the U.S. administration is quite happy with the, the new federal government in Canada, which has indicated that it wants to take a much tougher line on, on drugs than previous governments did. I mean, our, our previous governments were not exactly enlightened about drug policy, to begin with, but this government is is talking, uh, you know, one of the election promises of the government before the last election, which was held in in January of this year, uh, was that they were going to get tougher on drug traffickers, they were going to uh, stop funding the safe injection site that's been running in in Vancouver, British Columbia, very successfully. Uh, They weren't going to fund the pilot heroin maintenance program, so it was clearly, uh, and they were going to, and they were planning for a significant increase in in prison incarceration related to uh, to the, the to drug crimes, so uh, clearly this government has taken a, a much harder line on drugs and a much less enlightened line than than, uh, than uh, previous governments had at least talked about occasionally
0: A couple of things spring to mind, uh, if you will, the hypocrisy of this situation that here in the u s uh, just in the last couple of weeks it 's been pointed out that we lead the world in the rate of incarcerating our own people, and uh, predominantly because of this rise in uh, drug arrests. And uh, I-, I see where uh, Prime Minister Stephen Harper's 2000 election platform included a call for mandatory minimum sentences. Yes. Paralleling the U.S. with a focus on com- combating use of marijuana, methamphetamine, and crack cocaine. How can they follow down this trail? Uh, well, that we've blazed. Go ahead.
1: It's got nothing to do with, got nothing to do with logic and everything. I guess as you say, to do with hypocrisy. Uh, I mean, all all Canadians need to do is look south of the border and see that the, the massive incarceration, massive rates of incarceration in the United States, have not, you know, so-called solved the drug problem. That this is not something that can be solved through through force and through policing. You, know, as we all know, we can't police our way out of the drug problem. Um, but and and yet the current federal government in Canada seems very happy to go ahead and, and say we need to have tougher laws like the United States. Well, yes, why have tougher laws that, uh, that the United States has clearly shown do not work? If the most powerful nation on earth with all its might and all the funding it puts into the the, the, the uh, uh, drug war and the drug law enforcement can't solve the problem through through the criminal justice system, then why do we think that we, a much smaller, much less powerful country, can do it? You know, we're Canadians should. I mean, we've had the opportunity to see what hasn't worked by watching the the situation in the U.S., and yet this government seems to be quite willing to, to carry on with it. And maybe it's not so much hypocrisy as it is just the fact that there are certain vested interests that thrive on prohibition, and, 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 and um, maybe that's what's really behind it. I, as a matter of fact, I do believe that that's what's really behind it. You know, there is a drug war industry. I think we all realize that.
0: Uh, for those who don't know, uh, we're speaking with Eugene Oscapella, and he's written... Um uh, some very uh, damning reports about the connection between terrorism and the drug war and and how uh, this is not a, a pot we want to continue to stir if if you will uh, eugene the 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 situation in afghanistan uh, is is beyond uh, comparison uh, three million Afghanis now growing opium ninety two percent of the world 's supply of opium and heroin uh going to the black market and and some of it's winding up in Canada is it not?
1: Yes, Some of it is and some in the states although primarily the the market for afghan heroin is in is in in Europe. But uh, I mean Afghanistan is a classic example. Look at all the money that has been poured into the war on drugs and yet for about the past 3 or 4 years running the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime has has reported that Afghanistan opium production the precursor to heroin has has reached new record levels and each year they surpassed last year's record level and this year they surpassed last year's record level again Um, you know we're not stopping it and this is a it's a huge uh, significant uh, very significant part of the afghan economy and there's another twist to it too uh, and and Actually, the Canadian military has been speaking out because, like the United States, Canada has troops in Afghanistan. Uh, we're in the southern provinces, the province of Kandahar, and we've had a lot of Canadian soldiers killed there. What is happening is that the uh, the U.S. government, the Canadian government and, and NATO troops, North Atlantic Treaty Organization troops, are not involved in poppy eradication. But uh, but uh, the U.S. administration has been funding uh, poppy eradication. So what's, essentially what's happening is mercenaries are going in... Um, and destroying the poppy fields in Afghan villages and, and that ends up with the people starving. So the people are starving and they, the only way they can survive, their children, I've seen the pictures of their children starving, starving to death literally from, uh, from just a few minutes away from the Canadian basin in, in Kandahar. So these people are being driven into the hands of the Taliban. So by doing poppy eradication, we're driving the villagers who might otherwise be welcoming the troops into the hands of the Taliban and some of the Taliban are associated with Al Qaeda. So we're, we're actually worsening the threat of, of terrorist attacks and we're further destabilizing Afghanistan and and worsening the threat of terrorist attacks on the West by by doing this, and the Canadian military has now said that has now said this. They've they've come out and said that look, we've got a problem here. That these these uh, U.S. administration funded eradication programs are actually putting Canadian soldiers at risk because they're driving the villagers into the hands of the Taliban and so strengthening the ranks of the Taliban who are fighting the Canadian soldiers.
0: It, it is. Uh quite a quandary now th- th- another factor that i think needs to be thrown into that equation is the fact that uh uh the taliban is uh, working in much the same way the uh, paramilitary or the farc did in colombia uh helping to transport taxing and otherwise, uh, reaping uh, huge financial rewards from this drug trade.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, basically, <laughs> I think it's probably fair to say that just about everybody's in on the trade the good guys, the bad guys, the government. Uh, I mean, there seems to be massive levels of corruption associated with the trade. In Afghanistan, um... and, and this is, of course, you, you well know, Dean, this is, we see this in virtually every country where there's, where there's a, a massive drug market. There's massive levels of corruption in, in, in law enforcement, in government uh, generally, uh... Um, the good guys are involved, the bad guys are involved. I mean, the Northern Alliance were, were, were trafficking drugs too and and uh, profiting from the drug trade, and they're they're the good guys in Afghanistan, or they were during you know the early years of of the, the attacks. But the U.S. Department of State had essentially said, "Yeah, but they're on our side." So, you know, there's been a long history of acceptance of of the good guys trafficking as long as they're on our side. So, I mean, the whole the word hypocrisy you used earlier in the in the interview, Dean, is is very appropriate
0: here too. Thank you, sir. Uh, the The fact is, it's obvious to, I think, most people, as you're saying, uh, that uh, three million people are benefiting in Afghanistan, growing opium, the Taliban, Al-Qaeda. A whole set of actors uh, are involved over there. And there was a story just this week in the Washington Post talking about, in Colombia, once again, another somewhat similar situation, that the elite no longer are being pointed out as potential culprits or suspects. But they are involved, that the, the politicians and, and high-ranking officials of all types uh, have been complicit, have been involved with that paramilitary, and, and uh, if you will, are responsible for the, the, the violence that, that they brought forward. Sure. Well, I mean, and we see
1: it even even in our own countries. I mean, there's there's corruption in, amongst the Canadian police, and, and I'm sure there's corruption at Canadian government levels. And and it, uh, you know it's hard to believe that there. I know the, the GAO in the U S has done studies on this and found you know significant uh, or at least uh, noticeable levels of corruption amongst policing and government officials related to the drug trade. And in some of these poorer countries. Uh, uh, with such enormous profits to be made, it's, it's absolutely no surprise that, that, as I said before, everybody's in on it. I mean, everybody who can get their grimy hands on it is going to. Uh, and, you know, we're creating this. We are creating a disaster in Colombia. We're creating an environmental disaster, as, as maybe Sanjo Tree, who you may have interviewed at various times, has, has, has said, we're, we're helping to finance both the the left-wing guerrillas and the right-wing paramilitaries uh they're buying weapons and they're using them against each other and they're using them against worse they're using them against innocent people so you know we're we're destroying the prospects for for true democratic government in in countries around the world through our pursuit of the war on drugs
0: it's it's a mess um something also came up this week that uh and I think we should kick around a bit. Uh, Oftentimes, uh, the drugs are. John Walters goes to Canada, talks about the horrible B.C. bud, yep. talks about, uh, you know, the, you guys are exporting marijuana to us, when the fact is we're pretty well self-sufficient these days. A report just came out uh, this week indicating that uh, the, in the U.S. we grow approximately 10,000 metric tons. Uh, I think that's uh, 22 million pounds. And uh, with a worth of $35, $36 billion a year. In fact, the number one cash crop in America.
1: Yes, yes, it, I, I it, saw that report,
0: yes. Your thoughts, sir?
1: Well, I, I mean, the John Walters, uh, and I can criticize him because his father was Canadian, so he, I'm, I'm actually criticizing somebody who's got Canadian roots. So. <laughs>
0: well, he deserves it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> in any event, he... Um, I mean he has long been said that Canada is a major exporter of marijuana to the United States and yet there have been a number of studies done by uh, US government organizations by Canadian government organizations that have shown quite clearly and by UN organizations that Canada actually is a very minor supplier of cannabis to the United States the vast majority of, of foreign cannabis that comes into the United States comes in uh, through the Caribbean and through through Mexico so we are a tiny supplier but but I mean the, the truth the truth is always that Victim in this uh, in, in this war, as we know, uh, and always has been. So, if if he can demonize um, Canadian pot exporters, he will. But um, and sure, there's no doubt that Canada exports some drugs to the United States. Canada also imports drugs from the United States. So, you know, it, the trade goes both ways. As as is you know as as we would expect i mean canada would get cocaine that has come been shipped through the united states and perhaps some heroin shipped uh, via the united states to canada it doesn't always come directly from columbia to to canada so and and there is some marijuana being shipped into canada from the us as well so so it, the trade goes both ways um and but that doesn't that doesn't stop the rhetoric from from you know pointing fingers
0: you know, isn't that the, the case now i i figure probably uh, once a week they bust enough Trailer rigs uh, coming from Mexico to outpace everything that's imported from Canada in a year, but uh, they like to point at you guys, don't they? Yeah,
1: well, it's I mean it's a, it's the blame game. So you blame whoever you can, and and also part of the blame game is directed at at trying to. Uh, you know, threaten the Canadian government so that it will keep tough laws on drugs. Because, of, of course, as you and I both know, uh, if if Canada were to liberalize its drug laws and have a more sensible approach to drugs, um, uh, I don't think I don't think uh, you know our American brothers and sisters see us as being that different from them. And and if something came up here and if it worked in Canada, there might be a lot more pressure to try it in the U.S. too. And I think the I think the current administration and, and past administrations too have been very afraid of that. That if you know, if, if Canadians who are seen as being very similar to to Americans can have a, a more liberal drug system that works, then there'll be a lot of pressure brought in the U.S. to do that as well. And the the drug warriors don't want that. Clearly, drug reformers obviously do, and and you know they're they're encouraging. Um, uh, they would be encouraged by by positive changes in Canada.
0: Well, you know, I, I see it as uh, nobody wants to uncover mass graves. You know, not yep. the, not those who put those people in there and i think in the drug war we have not murdered people but we've destroyed so many lives that these politicians can't back down if they've been for the making of the bones uh, it's hard for them to, to yeah. change their stance. That, that's
1: one of the major problems is that they need to save face and it's pretty hard to you know, to shift directions. It's, uh, you know, it's pretty hard to rehabilitate somebody. It's, it's, it's like demonizing a, a foreign dictator and then all of a sudden you've got to go ahead and rehabilitate the guy and make him look like a nice guy. You know, what they did with Stalin during the Second World War. From the, same concept, the same problem we've got here. You spend all your time demonizing something and then all of a sudden you've got to turn around and say, well, it's not really so bad. Even if they realize that it's not so bad, and that the the current approach has failed, they get they get egg in their face if they turn around and say it. So they don't want to say it. So they perpetuate the system from the sick. You know, they perpetuate a, a system of uh, approaching drugs that uh, it does come very close to. Well, it kills many people. It does kill people, and it results in needless loss of loss of life, destruction of civil liberties, needless incarceration, many many ruined lives. Um, but that that doesn't matter to them because they will per- perpetuate the system because they are afraid of saying look i'm sorry i was wrong they don't have the they don't have the the courage the 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 maturity to say that look i was wrong
0: Exactly. Exactly. Well We are flat out of time, but Eugene, please uh, send them to your website where Canadians can get involved in this effort. It's triple dot C
1: F D P Charlie Frank David Paul .ca, Canadian Foundation for Drug Policy. And uh, Dean, please let me wish all your American listeners and Canadian listeners all the very best for the Christmas season, and we'll hope for a. A more progressive new
0: year, all of us. <laughs> Thank you, and uh, Eugene, we'll we'll talk to you soon. Okay, all the best. All right. Uh, a quick note: uh, we have an interview I did with Bruce Merkin uh, talking about the U.S. leading the world. Uh, well, the leading crop in the U.S. being marijuana.
2: This is uh, Bruce Merkin, director of communications at the Marijuana Policy Project.
0: Well, Bruce, it's uh, year end here, and we have some uh, astounding news coming forward. That the uh, United States now has a leading uh, crop, if you will, that's uh, on the illegal side. Tell us about that.
2: Well, indeed, according to a uh, new study just uh, released this week, uh, written by uh, researcher John Getman, uh, marijuana is America's leading cash crop uh, with a value of about thirty-six billion dollars, more than the combined value of our corn and wheat crops combined. That's pretty amazing when you consider that it comes at the end of uh, more than three decades of so-called marijuana eradication campaigns, um, campaigns in which they have seized and destroyed well over a 100 million marijuana plants uh, and yet not been able to stop the production of marijuana in the U.S., according to the Drug Enforcement Administration, from increasing by 1,000%.
0: Well, you know, I I, uh, heard about a situation also last week. Uh, Eddie Lepp and his ministry were uh, uh, let go of the world's largest marijuana bus. I think it was some 32,000 plants. But that's just a drop in the bucket every day. We hear about semi-trailers coming across the Mexican border or shipments coming across the Canadian border. America's pretty much self-sufficient in so far as marijuana, are they not?
2: Well, indeed, we we uh, are a huge marijuana producer and what what we get from overseas is a relative drop in the bucket compared to what we produce uh locally, which is in the neighborhood of 10,000 metric tons or about 22 million pounds. That's an awful lot of marijuana and it's just a sign that you can't repeal the law of supply and demand. We know that there are millions of Americans who use marijuana. As long as that's the case, somebody is going to fill that demand. And right now, our current laws basically give a monopoly to criminals and gangs and, and probably a lot of fairly unsavory people. And it's, it's really just time to change that to put marijuana under a system of sensible regulation like we do with alcoholic beverages and have all those billions of dollars go to legitimate businesses
0: that pay taxes
2: to support schools and roads and all of the things that society needs
0: well a couple of other uh, bits of information have come forward in the last couple of weeks one is that the united states is now the world's leading incarcerator of its own people and the violent uh, crime rate is going up some would say that's the reason for this increase in the violent crime is that we spend so much time chasing down high school harry for that bag of stash your, your thoughts on that
2: it's not just that although i think clearly time and resources spent arresting people for marijuana for example and and let's not forget there were well over three-quarters of a million marijuana arrests in this country last year that's all time and, and and resources not going to pursue violent criminals but also of course by consigning something like marijuana to the illicit market we create violence because underground illegal business people don't have any legitimate way of resolving disputes you know if you're uh, if you've got a debate about territory or your supplier may have treated you you can't go to court and sue them so you get violence we have created an epidemic of crime through our prohibition policies and of course it's exactly what we did with alcohol in the nineteen twenties none of this is new What's what's sad is our inability to learn from history. You know, the old the old cliche is that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. But that's exactly what we do with with our drug policy.
0: Well, once again, we're speaking with Mr. Bruce Merkin. He's the director of communications for the Marijuana Policy Project. Bruce, I'm aware of. some great successes this past election season uh... cities voting to allow marijuana to be the lowest law enforcement priority things of that nature A couple of years from now what what do you think we might see uh... what actions might we take
2: um, one thing that we're definitely going to do that we we have done in the past is uh, send an organizer up to New Hampshire as things uh, start getting hot and heavy in the presidential primaries and uh, try and get the candidates on the record and push them to uh, make positive statements at least about medical marijuana, which is really kind of the, the minimum bottom line for a, the, the start of a sensible and humane policy. Uh, we had some success uh, in 2004, getting getting several of the Democrats to make positive statements. This year, with the election wide open, of course, uh, in 2008, with no no incumbent running for uh, either side. Um, there should be lots of opportunities to let the voices of patients be, be heard in a state where retail politics still happens. There's lots of small-town meetings where ordinary folks can ask the candidates questions, which you don't get in places like California and New York, where it's all, all media campaigns. So we're going to be very active in these uh, upcoming election cycles, and uh, stay tuned for more details as, as things get decided for sure.
0: Would you please uh, point folks to your website? You guys are having a contest uh, on what's the best radio ad, are you not? uh, Mm -hmm. What. What can they do to learn more about the Marijuana Policy Project?
2: Well, I- indeed, they can uh, go to our website, which is mpp.org. And uh, yes, we are uh, having a, a contest. Where we're asking our-, our members or other supporters to uh, vote with their contribution dollars for uh, which of four radio ads we should air next. Uh, they're all kind of fun, and one of them pokes fun at Rush Limbaugh, One, a couple of them poke fun at the government. And uh, do check those out on our website and uh, look at all the other information there. And if you're not signed up for our action alerts, please do, again, at uh, mpp.org.
0: And here we have one of those radio ads for the listeners.
1: Lock up Rush Limbaugh. Or does he deserve our sympathy? Rush Limbaugh was arrested for prescription drug fraud involving the narcotic OxyContin and was caught with Viagra bearing someone else's name. But he has called cancer patients using medical marijuana, quote, the long-haired, maggot-infested, dope-smoking crowd. Well, so much for sympathy. Let's end the hypocrisy. Visit the Marijuana Policy Project Foundation at joinMPP.org or call one 877
0: join Howard Wooldridge is one of the founding members of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, and he's now working full-time. As an education specialist, uh, something like a lobbyist in the U.S. Congressman, in the U.S. Congress in Washington, D.C.
3: This is Howard Wooldridge uh, from LEAP reporting from Washington, D.C. And one of the things that uh, I do when I sit down and talk to a staffer uh, in Congress is is set the tone of being a reasonable person, and I urge all of you out there, when you get a chance uh, to meet with a, your state senator, your state rep uh, delegate, and, and they'll give you 10, 15 minutes of FaceTime, and you can say, of course, anything you want. And the way I start my conversation with these people is that I said, you in case the fire alarm goes off, I would like to tell you just one thing, and that is one day, if you or a loved one has a drug problem, I want you to see a doctor at a clinic, get some treatment, some help, some understanding. I do not want my profession to arrest you, bring you before a judge, and have him sanction you with a uh, criminal record, with fines and costs, uh, two days, two weeks, two months, two years in jail for simple possession. To me, it's simply immoral to put somebody in jail or sanction them with a big uh, criminal record simply because they chose outside the box of alcohol, tobacco, Prozac, or Valium. And the second thing I say to the staffer is, please stop... Funding law enforcement to have any effect on this this, uh, this policy. You, the politicians, have given us a half trillion dollars over the last 35 years, plus 35 years of, of, of time to do it. And after all that money and all that time, everyone agrees drugs are cheaper, stronger, and readily available to our children. So why do we continue to give money to a strategy law enforcement that absolutely has no return on investment. And in doing that, I set the tone. And the third thing I do is say, can you name one benefit, one positive outcome of this policy? of prohibition, either of all prohibition or prohibition of marijuana or prohibition of medical marijuana, whatever your particular interest is, could could we name one positive benefit for all this time and all this money and all the millions of people arrested and all the millions of crime victims that is so positive that you want to say, okay, I'm convinced, I want to call up the governor, uh, Governor Perry of Texas, and say, yeah, please spend another $500 on prisons next year. This, This policy is working so well. And put the burden on the on the listener to tell you why they support prohibition and the positive benefits and outcomes that that, that prohibition has provided to uh, your state, um, whatever it may be. And the last thing you can do while you're talking to this person, they say, well, you know, if you if you halfway agree with me, one of the things you can do in the future is frame this policy for what it is: prohibition. You know, call it prohibition. Get in front of a group of, of Rotarians or Kwanians or whatever else, or a group of Chamber of Commerce and say, uh, you know, I support or do not support prohibition because, or I'm not sure prohibition is the, is the best way to go. Uh, it, it has definitely some drawbacks. And if we could frame this issue as prohibition, the average layman will pick up on it very quickly that that's a failed policy that our grandparents tried, and that, of course, today there's no difference except the name has been changed from Al Capone, to Pablo Escobar and, and his type of friends, so those are some tips that you can use, and I say I urge you <clears throat> to make of an appointment with your, your state reps and state senators that FaceTime is worth a hundred letters, and uh, do it as soon as you can, uh, and they, they, they have time whenever they are out of session. Okay, this is Howard Wildred from LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition reporting from Washington, D.C.
0: Okay, we got just a little bit of time left here, and I want to do a quick uh, editorial. Drug users are unconditionally exterminable. The questions I pose in response to the now uh, 92-year-old anti-drug propaganda, the hysteria and vicious ugly war, are simple. And yet no response has ever been received from the drug warriors, the true outlaws of this drug war. Is it possible to curtail our children's easy access to drugs? What can we do to destroy the cartels, terrorist groups, violent gangs, and the institutional corruption that thrives because of drug prohibition? How can we cut back on the number of overdoses and diseases caused by drug use? There's really only one answer. That is to end prohibition. The day we regulate the distribution of these illegal drugs to adults is the day we take away the worth of Osama bin Laden's opium stash. When we allow state-regulated distribution, the violent gangs that sell drugs to our children will lose their market, their profits, and the power. To sell drugs It's up to you my friends Please get involved Visit our website Inprohibition.org Prohibido stock evilesco. For the Drug Truth Network This is Dean Becker Asking you to examine Our policy of drug prohibition The Century of Lies The show produced at the Pacifica Studios Of KPFT, Houston Our engineer, Philip Duffy.